Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Open the pot bay doors now. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. Go ahead, make my day. Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Hole Cinema with myself, Tony Black, your learned host. And today this is a slightly different podcast in that it's not technically about cinema. It's actually uh, going to be about television, which for years was the uh, the lower beast of entertainment, but has uh, enjoyed a renaissance over the last two decades, and is now in many ways considered as good as, if not better. And it won't just be me rambling at you this time. Here to join me for all things TV chat is my good friend, Mr. Matt Latham. Hello there. And Latham is somebody who watches even more TV than I do. I watch quite a bit of telly in, in my time, but he's um, he's very much a TV buff. And just to say, if you can hear him better than you could Chris Wilson a couple of weeks ago, then it's because he's sitting next to me. I know, wow. It's exciting, yes. Yeah. This is the first podcast I've ever done where I'm not talking at a computer, which always makes me feel like we're heading into Terminator territory. Slightly. <laughs> um, and it's the beginning of the end. But yeah, it's, um, it's cool. And we just thought we'd talk about various different um, TV-related things, things that Matt has been watching, and how it kind of relates to film. We are going to tie it into film, to be fair, even though even though it's something that's, you know, uh, television. It's, it is going to tie into film in various ways uh, that we've thought of. And we're going to have a little quiz, aren't we? Which uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. we're very excited about. And we'll tell you more about that in a minute. But, yeah, it's just going to be a podcast that's really talking about television itself and how it's become what it is today, as opposed to in the old days when film was seen as the big, you know, entertainment Premier League thing, whereas it's not quite the same in the world today. 
Why do you think that is, Matt? I think it's might be to do with the ease that people can watch things there. Whereas, well, for example, you've got DVDs and Netflix or well, instant streaming like Netflix or Hulu, if you're in your Hulu, Hulu. Hulu, Hulu. Hulu, Hulu. Hulu, Hulu, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amazon, well, Amazon Prime as well, Love Film, and mm. it's, 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 it's perhaps just a lot easier to be able to access a lot more TV mm. nowadays than perhaps it is. Well, film, well, mm. film, well, well, you can buy a DVD of a film or video, well, VHS of a film back in the old days. Old days, it, we it remember is, them. Yeah, but it perhaps wasn't as easy to get TV mm. programmes that way. And it's, I think it's, I think it's, there's a lot more emphasis on perhaps TV mm. nowadays than perhaps film. But. Mm. No, I think that's true. Back, like, 20, 30 years ago, television, I think, was seen as, as the lesser medium because it was... Certainly in America, and obviously British television has, has followed the, the American trend in most ways, hasn't it, really, over the yeah. last 20, 15 to 20 years? Probably the last 10 more than that. Yeah, probably, yeah. And you only have to look at our biggest drama now, you know, Doctor Who, which is probably the biggest thing on British television, to see the American influence of that, and it's enormous. Yeah. And it's completely followed the idea of American serialised television, but, and with production values. But back in, like, the 80s and before, you know, the primetime American shows, if they weren't comedies... Then they were, and they weren't soap operas. They were like fluff or detective dramas, weren't they? It was things like Quincy or Kojak, or it yeah. was also Knight Rider or yeah. MacGyver. Things that were silly and looked a bit cheap and were fun, but disposable. Disposable, yeah. yeah. But then, yeah, so then you've got, but perhaps I think in the late eighties you've started having shows that start to push out or experiment a bit. I think the, the first. One of the first few TV shows I think I remembered, well, not me remember that I think did that was a, a show called Is it Hill Street Blues? Hill Street it, Blues, yeah. Yes. I, which, I, which admittedly I've not watched at all. No, me neither. But, but I've heard a lot about it. But it's heard about it. Apparently, it was one of the first few shows to use a kind of mockumentary, well, not mockumentary, but like a documentary fly on the wall type mm. of drama, and it was more, mm. and it dealt with um, the characters' lives, which stuff stuff that's now pretty much yeah a dime a penny with all your procedurals and that it just yeah. shows you all the personal lives and stuff but and then you had all these like kind of serialised stuff that slowly gets thrown in and it wasn't all soaps it was, mm. and then you've got um, I think the next big one perhaps was uh, the development of I think Moonlighting probably um, with the Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd, which was, was mid to late 80s wasn't that it that was late, like, late 80s and I think, I think they had that developing love mm. that like, love interest which developed throughout the show and I think carried on and like kind of mm. built upon previous episodes. Mm. There's like a natural development. It wasn't like the Star Trek reset button. Yeah, each yeah. Um, and then there was, but then the, that led to that whole moonlighting syndrome, mm. <laughs> of like UST that gets resolved. But that's a whole different story. And then perhaps the yeah, X-Files. Another, another podcast, maybe. Yes, that yes. One. The moonlighting special. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> don't give him. Don't give him ideas. <laughs> actually, I do have that. I do have the first two series on DVD, but, but I never actually watched it properly yet. Well, there you go. There's your yeah. cue. Yep. Get ready for the next podcast. Yeah, I mean, like special. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then I think then it was like shows like um, X Files, which I which I know that you're a bit know more about it than I do. Which but then that started throwing serialized elements into it, mm. and then you probably had show. Then it came um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, and these sort of teenage mm. dramas that kicked in. Um, 
probably well, building on stuff like well, Beverly Hills nine hundred two. I know mm, was mm. that was that was actually the teen soap that was kind of serialised. Yeah, I think it's late years anyway. Um, then well, you start getting stuff like twenty four and lost, and those things that are built yeah. on serialisations. But then, and it's probably a lot easier to follow that stuff now because of like DVD and mm. streaming. And with all these cable network shows that come in there, we've got Breaking Bad, mm. um, The Wire, and all this kind of stuff. Mm. With, with like the modern ways of think, being able to view all of this, mm. it becomes easier to mm. watch more complex shows. Yeah, you know? and I think you've you've neatly tracked the arc of it there. Really, I think yeah. from the the days when it kind of started to change in the way television was made, and the people importantly who started to make television, and how it's developed. Pretty much, yeah, in roughly about the last 25 years, because that, I think that's kind of been the time period where it began to change. Late 80s, very early 90s. Yeah. And you've, you've mentioned a few shows there where the big changes, I think, were, were two things. One, the one was the serialised television element, and that was encapsulated in things like, say, Hill Street Blues, a lot of the early homicide life on the streets, a lot of the early procedurals that did yeah. a lot of those, even though they had their own you know, story arcs and, and solitary things that were characters you followed to an extent. Yeah. So there was that element. And there was also production values, I think. And this, this, is what, this is what the interesting part in that when television, when did television become ch- a challenger to film in terms of telling a story? And I think it was at the point where you did start to get genre become more of a serialised, well-produced element. And that was the days of when the X-Files started. I mean, X-Files is, as you'll discover later, it is my favourite show of all time. And I think, and it has, I won't go into this because I'll bore you, but X-Files, I believe, has been largely responsible for a lot of the trends of television that we see today in terms of the influence. The the key word I've always heard... Was, is the term crossover. Not in terms of crossover of different shows, but crossover of genres. Yeah. Because it, it's pretty much um, three... It was pretty much three shows. It was the it was the procedural yeah. element. It was the science fiction element. Yeah. And the one that people probably are aware of, but don't think of, it's the UST Absolutely. romantic element. Which Absolutely. I don't, which I don't know if it was that apparent throughout the first few seasons, but there was definite UST. It's like it moonlight in UST. It was, yeah, and it, it was it was something that very quickly the fans became hooked on, and you know it's these these little elements are the things that really draw people in more yeah. than the actual like, concept idea. You've got so many shows that have gone the way of the dodo after a few episodes or a few or a season yeah. because they don't have those characters or that that connection or those that that romantic thing going on where yeah. you've got a perfect alchemy of perfect casting of actors who have real chemistry and characters that are so well written. That they have that natural kind of, you know, fixation where people are drawn in and they want yeah. to know how it ends. And Mulder and Scully in the X Files are now iconic because they had all of those things. You had, I mean, you know, Mulder was the Sherlock Holmes, the New Age Sherlock Holmes. Scully was the Doctor Watson. So you had that element, but you also had the fact that secretly they wanted to, they wanted to get in each other's pants, really. Yeah. And it was so underplayed, and it wasn't, it wasn't a big thing, but it was. There were looks, there were moments, there was the odd touch, there was the odd, and it got more and more as the show went on yeah, and the but, show changed. But that's that's the kind of thing that the best shows that changed the way television was was made had, and it had, and things like Babylon Five because that's another b- big one that is less well known because it's very genre, it's very science fiction, but it also had real emotional character arcs at the centre of it. And J. Michael Straczynski is another one who, like Chris Carter, 
he's kind of like a godfather of, of modern great television. And they're the kind of people... And I was just going to say, one of the things Chris Carter said when he made The X-Files was he wanted to make a movie on television every week. Even those parts of it have dated, a lot of it hasn't. A lot of it you can still see. You could still put it on a cinema screen. It would still be quite transfixed. You know, you would be. And it, it, would, be, it would hold up, even today. And those are things that were made 20 years ago. And that was the beginning of this this arc you talked about of how it developed it, and then it it started to then deepen I think in genre which is when you got to Buffy yeah you know and then Buffy took that and moved it into a different direction because it tapped a lot into pop culture didn't it and a lot of yeah. you know into that teenage angst and it got a whole new audience didn't it yeah exactly. well it, it had as you'll find out later on that Buffy's probably my, my group mm. of X-Files it had those Relatable characters, as you said, more than Scully, mm. but then it had it in a unique. Well, a, it was basically a teenage drama mixed in with mm. science. Well, horror. It was more horror, but then it it was less of being a movie each week as being a a spin on or a commentary on the old horror tropes that you had with cinema. Well, it was it was based on it was based on getting all these horror movie tropes that mm. you had. Um, but then spinning it into a metaphor for teenage drama, yeah, and yeah. It, you you can't deny that it that it did its job well. So, oh, well, the first well, the, the first the first few moments of the first ever episode, you got um, yeah. the young couple got breaking into a school. Yeah, <gasps> what's that? The young Ron going, what's that? Someone's here. Someone's here. He goes, no, no, it's fine. Maybe it's something. The cool guy going, oh, there's no one here. And you you usually you'd be going, yeah, serial killer coming out. Bye bye blonde yeah, yeah, and yeah. then the blonde girl turns <coughs> to a vampire and kills the bloke. It's like okay, and that's the mission statement for the whole show. Yeah. Then pretty much, and pretty much starts perhaps the more the more self-referential or self-awareness of the following fifteen years. Of yeah, and it, again, and Buffy's another one that has that a lot of shows and a lot of ideas have been pillaging or have taken a cue from over the last yeah the last fifteen sixteen years, yeah. and it, it, it's left itself. A legacy in terms yeah. of of what it's doing for television and what it's done for television, and like you say, the self-referential element of of cinema that has seeped into television. It's allowed, and, and Joss Whedon's another one of those great, you know, writers and producers who saw uh, something that hadn't been done before in television. That again is leaping off things that have been done in literature or film or all these different elements and it's it just made it just these shows kind of shows just made television deeper and richer than it was before I think and then you know when we move into the 2000s and you've got shows like like you say 24 which was which was like which, which was purely serialised yeah. and the whole concept was revolving yeah. around that even though um, I will say that the film Nick of Time with Johnny Depp and Christopher Walken had that idea before 24 I don't know if you've that? ever seen Nick of Time no no, no. It's, it's a little film with Johnny Depp, who basically is this mild-mannered guy, he's got a daughter, and his daughter gets kidnapped by these um, crooks who basically say to Johnny Depp, right, you've got 80 minutes to kill a senator in that hotel across the road, or you're going to kill your daughter. And it happens in real time, and he has to find a way, and, and they're watching him at every point, they've got him completely boxed in, they give him a gun, they say, right, you've got to go and do this, otherwise we're going to kill her in 80 minutes, the clock's ticking. And Christopher Walken's this absolute git who just stalks him all the way through and the moment Johnny Depp you think he's going to get someone to help him Christopher Walken's there going just do it you've got, to, you've got another 70 minutes you know that kind of thing and it's, it's a really good little tight so is film all, is it all in real time it? it's all in real time it, it really it's not um, it's not got a clock like 24 or anything but it's all in real time it happens over that 80 minutes and it's quite a nice little tight it's not a perfect film it's not a particularly you know 
amazing film in a lot of ways, but it's a good little solid idea. He does it well. So 24, probably quite knowingly, because that would have been seen by people, because he had Johnny Depp in, you know, Chris yeah. Walken. They probably took a cue from that. So you've got a lot of these these things. Slightly random aside, you mentioned 24, uh, Breaking Bad. Um, there was Howard Gordon and Vince Gilligan. Where did they start off? On the X-Files, <laughs> exactly. And you can, tra- yeah, you can trace a lot of the the showrunners and the writers of, of all of the shows these days that people go on about and they love. Most of, a lot of them started, yeah, on the X-Files. And quite a lot of them started on Buffy as well. Or, or were yeah. around Buffy at the time. Yeah. You know, people like Jeffrey Bell. Wasn't he on Buffy? He was, I think or he was Angel. Angel. It was Angel. And now he's running S.H.I.E.L.D., isn't he? Or co-running S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Yeah, you've got, and he was on, he was on the X Files. Jeffrey Bell was on the X Files oh, as well. Later, later in the yeah, later in the season. Yeah, so. you, you know, you've got, and you've got a lot of these guys who started off on these kind of shows. And you know, another one, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, which deserves a lot of credit as well, because that took, um, you know, not just a massive franchise, but it, it was it was involved in that renaissance of serialized television. You had people like you know Ronald Moore, Ron Moore on there, who then went on and did Battlestar Galactica, which is another yeah. modern, you know, it, they, and these are all. It's all DNA that, that builds to the point now where you've got you've got TV drama like Breaking Bad, like The Wire, like Mad Men, like um, Hannibal, which has got a lot of buzz lately, you know, and and all these things that now now you get movie actors doing as much television as you do at anything else. One of the things I don't know if you saw this last week was that um, the British drama Peaky Blinders, Tom Hardy yeah. has now joined. Yeah. Now, if that things like Cillian Murphy, Cillian Murphy's in it. that. Now, I haven't watched Peaky Blinders. I've heard a lot about it. I've been told it's very good, but that just proves you know Tom Hardy has been in some of the biggest films ever made. Right? He's a he's a stone stone cold movie actor. Right? He doesn't have to do a BBC One show, but he's done it because the quality is good enough, and that that speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yeah. Really? You know. Yeah, and when leading that and continuing all to the present day, and perhaps going to. TV shows that have that movie budget. So you've got pro- shows like Homeland, which mm. could look like movies. And the biggie, the biggest one so far is Game of Thrones, which yes, is, yes. which which has probably got more more of a budget than perhaps majority of the movies. Things. And it and it looks like a movie. It's yeah. bloody difficult to follow. Oh God, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's ridiculously hard to follow, but it looks. It looks brilliant. It's got the oh, production values is amazing. It will, amazing. It's it will stand up for many many years. Game of Thrones and it won't. Yeah, it's a true phenomenon. Really, yeah. very little will match that in terms yeah. of scope. But looking back, I think Game of Thrones would be something that you'd have to view as a whole. And mm-hmm. I don't think if we finish this massive seventy-hour movie, that's kind of well. And, th- and this is exactly the yeah. point, isn't it? In that that's why. For years, there was probably this reticence of, of doing what they do now on television outside of film because you know people aren't going to want to watch something that's fifty fifty yeah. hours long. You know, but the the thing is now, like you say, with the, the embrace, especially of, of DVDs, where you can block watch DVDs, yeah. you can get a box set and watch them, and especially and even more now with your Netflix and your love films, and we'll, go, we'll, we'll talk about that later. On yeah, later. and that I mean that and that's the future, and that's only going to get even more easier to watch things with the, the advent of technology. So it makes it much easier to blast through a, lo- a long-standing narrative arc. But yeah. in, crucially, you tend to find now that people are more invested in a, in a, in a narrative, a continuing narrative, like, like a Game of Thrones, like a, um, like a Homeland, like, like, like a, things like that, than they are 
necessarily a standalone. You do get a lot of people watch the standalones, but they dip in and out, don't they? Whereas the real phenomenon shows are the ones where you tend to find they are they are characters you really click with, and you're hooked on it. Yeah. You know, and that's where that's where it's really blurred. I think, hasn't it? Really, now the fact that you like to say you've got the movie actors doing television shows, you've got television shows that have been as well written as movies. You've got movie yeah. directors directing telly. You've got yeah. movie writers writing for TV, and it, it's all mixed, hasn't it? Now, yeah, it's, it's, all... it's 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 coming like just so together. It's yeah, ridiculous. It's... And and now, as we'll talk about, we'll talk about Shield later, and that's that's a perfect example of how film has informed television yeah. even more so. So, do you think that the future's bright for TV in this way? Yeah. Um, I, just, I think we've, there is plenty of scope for new shows, new stories. Um, there's a lot of buzz at the moment about a TV show called True Detective, mm. which I've not seen yet. I've, not, I've, personally, I've personally not tried to watch any of it yet. Um, I think I'm going to wait until the first season that's done, or try and get in position to try and watch that all the way through. Um, Does that that has Matthew McConaughey in, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it's Woody Harrelson. And Woody Harrelson, yeah. both established movie actors. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey, right now, he's one of the biggest actors on the planet, really, isn't he? Because yeah. he's doing these amazing things. He's getting Oscar nominated. You know, yeah. and it's 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 people coming out of the comfort zone and doing things like that. And you know, um, Matthew McConaughey. For, I mean, he'll 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 make that TV show really good because I think he's always been a good actor anyway. I mean, I'd point people to Contact which is a film that was made late 90s with Jodie Foster about um, the search for alien life. And he's great in that. He plays a priest. So you've got these, these really good movie actors who are, who are dipping into the, this water. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think the future is going to be bright. And I think, I think we're going to see more of a crossover, a direct crossover maybe as well from movies to TV and, and storylines intertwining. And do you think that television will ever really compete with film in terms of being a... A phenomenon that that gets people globally in a way that film can do, like you know your Avengers or your, um, you know your Twilight films or whatever. Uh, possibly, I think it's 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 prob- probably on a different level to how movies are made, but it's it's how immediate people can get stuff mm. nowadays. Mm. So I mean, so they can see stuff out through the internet and everything. It's that kind of immediacy which is probably which you probably don't get with film like um i think it's, it's probably you get from concept to a, a tv episode a lot quicker than you can get from concept to movie for example mm. and I, th- I and i think you'll always have that i mean you'll have your big spectacle and films and stuff but i don't but i think in terms of well in terms of character well, in terms of characters as well you're not going to probably have you're probably going to have an audience mm. connect more with a TV character than you probably do with a movie character. Shall I give you an example, I think, of what you've just said? Yeah. House of Cards. Which I've not yet watched. Which you, but but the, you know how big House of Cards has been in terms of being you know produced or directed yeah. by David Fincher and it's had like a 30, 40 million budget yeah. and Kevin Spacey's in it and it's been on Netflix and the second season just launched on Netflix. Yeah. And I haven't, I haven't watched any of them either but the buzz around those has been huge both here and America and you think well if that can happen you know and, and it's all there isn't it the whole season's there at once so people can yeah. watch that in one night if they wanted one day or whatever Yeah. and you know that kind of thing it's like going to the movies isn't it and watching a major release you'll see all of that you're not going to go to the movie see a bit of it and then go home and then see a bit of it later are yeah. you you know you're going to see it in one go so that seems to be where the line is really is really blurring really and I suppose yeah. it all depends 
if your things like your Netflix go global, because they're not in every territory yet. No, not now. But it's, it's like it's like when when they brought back Arrested Development, mm. which is is one of my favourite comedies of all time. Mm. They, they brought that they managed to get the rights to do the whole new. Mm. The, the season four of that, mm. and I remember pretty much spent watching that over the space of two days. Yeah, and but that was like a massive global thing as well. I think yeah. Twitter was a buzz with all that. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And so you've got it, it launched onto the social networking now, doesn't it? And everyone's talking about it and hashtagging it and trending yeah. and all this. So it builds up this kind of. It's like it's almost like where where you'd have a packed cinema theatre. We're going to watch, yeah, Avengers or whatever. Now you've got several million homes where you've got families or whatever or people yeah. sitting around watching the same thing on yeah. Netflix. They're just not in the same room. Yeah. So, you know, but they're probably watching it at a similar time or at the same time. So then they'll, on the same night, they'll go on Twitter and go, oh my God, look what happened, you know. So it's it's strange, isn't it? But yeah. It's, and it's, I suppose it's hard to, you know, is it the same experience as going to a movie showing and having that, you know, moment where everyone... He's cheering or laughing or crying or whatever, and it's that's the difference, I suppose, isn't yeah. it? And I suppose it makes it more personal, which I suppose I think television always has been, really, hasn't it? I think you're right. I think the yeah. future's bright. Cool. Okay. Um, what? Yeah. What we're going to do is we Matt came up with this idea of um, us having a mastermind of <laughs> of <laughs> each other's favourite, um, not just TV shows, but specific seasons of TV shows. So Matt went with. Um, well, you tell us what, what season did you go? Um, I mentioned earlier that Buffy the Vampire Slayer is my favourite show, mm. so I'm going to go with season two of that. And I'll, do you want me to explain why? Yeah, go on. Yeah. Okay. Now there is a train. I mean, when I was growing up, I think season two was my favourite season. As I got older and I did a rewatch about a year and a half ago, I have come to realise, with probably the general consensus, is that consistently season three is probably the best quality season. I would um, agree. Yeah. Um, I can only perhaps at a stretch think of one or two perhaps subpar episodes or episodes that nestle that line season two however I will maintain that season two it's got a couple more clunkers it's got some actually damn it's got some really bad episodes in it Ted no actually I like Ted <laughs> I like Ted, <laughs> I, like Ted. Okay. Um, I, th- I think the better I think the, when season two gets good it surpasses anything that does season three there are some absolutely brilliant episodes of TV in season two, which I will maintain are some of the best hours of TV that have ever been produced. So, for example, you've got Surprise and Innocence two-parter. You've got Passion. Uh, the coming, the coming, um, you'll, you'll disagree with me, but School Hard is, is perhaps my favourite. It's my favourite episode of anything mm, ever. Mm. Um, We've all got one of them, though. Nobody yeah, ever says yeah. the same and one. I think, but then again, though, perhaps... And it, perhaps it is slight, I'm slightly... And then whether it's biased or not, I, I kind of grew up with it. I was, I have an emotional connection to season two. Yeah. Um, season three is perhaps a stronger season, and a lot of people have argued that season five is quite strong as well. Um, I don't think season five is strong as season two, um, in terms of when it hits the high points. I mean, I don't either. I, I agree. Uh, yeah, and there's, there is nothing, there is nothing funnier than seeing uh, Nicholas Brendan cringing. When average white band is playing, got the love, and that in perhaps another one of my favourite episodes of TV ever. I I think that I mean I only watched Buffy. I, I only watched Buffy last year, actually, as you, you know. You binged it through Netflix. I binged it in Netflix, yes, yes, and I did Buffy and Angel simultaneously. I mean, good God! I mean, my girlfriend at the time basically said I was a sad act who had no life because she, she literally would would call me up and I'd go, "She, what are you doing? Oh, I'm watching another Buffy and Angel." Goes, again. 
Because I, I, I spent about three months. It took me three months. I watched about two or three. Sometimes I'd do it up to six a night. It was, it was, because it was like a 280 ma- episode marathon. Anyway, I did it. My, my, rec- my record, I think, was when, was, this was years and years ago when I had the, the VHS. I've still got, I've got pretty much all of them on VHS in the yeah, box sets. Yeah. Apart from Angel Season 5, which annoys me. It annoys the hell out of me. I think I managed to do episodes one to ten of season four mm-hmm. in one day. Yeah. And I think that's still probably the longest I've ever watched anything currently yeah. in terms of TV. It's doable, yeah. I've done binges like that. It's a lot, though, isn't it? After after a while, you just end up. That's it. I think I did. I think I've done whole seasons of Big Bang Theory in one day, but I think that's because I couldn't move and switch it off because I was hungover. <laughs> I think no, yeah. That's no, a was, great cure for a hangover, isn't it? Actually, no, Sheldon actually, just coming out with gems. No, actually, no, actually saying that, I think it was. I think I went through. I think I'm pretty sure I watched all of season two on one New Year's Day, and then I think it was season three for the next New Year's Day. Cause, Brilliant. But that's a great. That's a great cure for hangover. But um, yeah, season two, Buffy. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and I, I, I think. See, personally, I think season two, Buffy. Having watched it, you know, not the same time as you did, so from a completely different perspective. I think one of the things it did do, and what I've read about, it, is that it put the show on the map. Really, season one was was a bit, you know, iffy. Um, altogether, apart from the finale, which was very good. Yeah, but, it's, it's, and that's that's probably another one of my favorite. The prophecy girl is called. Yeah, it's it's still one of my things, and it probably still I can probably still have an emotional reaction to some of the scenes in it. Yeah, and Sarah Michelle Gellar is probably never ever going to get as good, never got as good as that scene with her and Anthony Shuttlehead and David Bowie, as we just find that she's going to die and stuff. Well, and this yeah. is it, you know, and it's it's those things that that are, that really that was the point I think when Buffy started to really put itself on the map and start telling these yeah. these real storylines that t- I mean it, season 2 does Twilight doesn't it basically long before Twilight was even written yeah, right? think, yeah. It, it, and does it better yeah. <laughs> right it's that storyline really isn't it in a way with Buffy and Angel and that I think is the heart of and Becoming is, is an excellent it's, finale because it really brings it all together and just does it in such a powerful Melodramatic yeah. but powerful genre way. It's, it's superb. It's the it's it's a great it's, it's extending metaphor. It starts getting braver. Um, mm. It's the whole darker as well. It's it's the, it's the boyfriend that sleeps with you and doesn't call yeah. you again and stuff. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, or when you have a relationship and it kind of the change through it and it's an extending metaphor throughout of it. And it's telling actually that perhaps one or two of the subpar episodes of season three are the ones where it tries and do it. The early season two and season one single episode yeah. plots and um, Beauty and the Beasts for in season three. Mm, um, mm, that's it, because yes, that wasn't very yeah good. because of the whole like Angel and Jealous arc, it pretty much <laughs> ruined any chance of the yeah. show from doing that again. Yeah, and like as you see in season four when he tries to do the. The metaphor for college, it just doesn't work. No, because, it, no. that's that's David Bill Reality's fault. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah. And to, to uh, be fair, I think I, and to be fair, I always hold the belief that David Bill is an angel ruined the last few seasons of Buffy. Except I, I preferred Angel. <laughs> well, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, definitely. I mean, the last couple of seasons of Buffy after season five, it's it's a bit wonky, really, for the most yeah. part. You know, season six is, is awful, to be honest. Oh, yeah, it's got, it's, it's, I remember telling you that what? I think you got to I think episode nine, and I remember you got your ring for the longest. Yeah, bad episode, and it, it just got really, really depressing. If I'm honest, really, because yeah. that's what that's how, how the, the storylines were going. Everyone was yeah. either dying or being, you know, abused, and it was awful. It, it had lost the fun of yeah. Of, I, I can, I can, I could of the show. It, tr- it tried the whole metaphor that adult adult life is difficult. Yeah, and I can see why it tried to do that. Yeah, it just 
it wasn't as fun because adult life isn't as fun as being a teenager. <laughs> so and they got it right. They, yeah. In terms of actually what they were trying to do, they yeah. certainly got it right. But it just didn't. We didn't really want to watch it, did we? <laughs> and like, and, and you know. And I think as much as the heartbreaking part of season two, going back to that again, mm. um, heartbreaking season two was it, there's still that element of fun. It balanced the drama. That yeah. I mean, for example, because I mean, you had. James Masters and Spike, who was like, yeah. he's always watchable. Yeah. Um, and David Boreanaz just, he seemed to enjoy himself far too oh, much. God, he seemed yeah. to relish being evil. Being a bad guy. And well, it, was, it, was, it was like, it was heartbreaking to watch, but then you could tell that everyone there was just enjoying themselves. Mm. Mm. Like, oh, it, it, completely. So yeah. it's, uh, I think it's a good choice, really, for yeah. your favourite season. Okay, ever. so it's... So yes, I'm going to, to give you 15 questions. Yes, yeah, so it's out of 15. Yes. Yeah. Um... And I prepared him earlier because I said they might be a bit harsh. <laughs> um, okay. Because I've, I've trawled IMDb and a few other things for this. But um, give it your best shot. Yeah. So I don't, so I, I don't know what, what angle you come... We, we, we've not... I've not known what angle he's going through. No. To this, so. He knows nothing. He's just said, give me 15 Buffy Season 2 questions, go. So that's what I've done. Okay. So, to start with, what Season 2 episode is Joss Whedon's favourite of the entire show? Instance. Well done. One point to Mr. Latham. The the, the the episode where Buffy and Angel first sleep together and Angel first turns bad. So and it, invo- and it basically involves Buffy using a rocket launcher. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 Buffy rocket launcher. Yeah. Well done. One point. Okay. Um, second question. What is the name of Buffy's favourite steak and what season two character gave it to her? Mr. Pointy and Kendra. Well done. You get three points there actually because that's technically two yeah. questions in one. Okay. Yes, Mr. Pointy and Kendra. And Kendra was another vampire slayer, wasn't she? Who yes. came in and, and didn't last very long, really, did she? Yeah. But she was a bit of a template, I suppose, for the later ones that came in, wasn't she? Like your faiths and, and people like that yeah. and all the all the potentials and things. Yeah. Okay, you might, uh, this might be the first difficult one. What episode got an Emmy Award for outstanding hairstyling for a series? <laughs> <laughs> now, this is on Wikipedia, so if you've, if you've looked on Wikipedia... I didn't think it won an Emmy. It did. For, it did for outstanding hairstyling. Yeah. Which episode? Bloody hell. Um, Have a guess then. Potluck. Halloween. No. <clears throat> Sorry. It was Becoming, parts one and two. Really? Yes, I don't really know why. <laughs> I don't know what the difference yeah, was. Yeah, 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 unless it was just, I think, I don't remember if, like, Willow's hair. Maybe. Or maybe <laughs> Boreana's, you know, kind of gelled quiff yeah. fringe got so high, <laughs> it kind of took on a life of its own. Yeah. I don't know. Never mind. That was a tricky one. In okay. What... Which new actor in season two isn't from the same place as his character, and where is he really from? Which new character? Um, James Masters, and he's from... He plays Spike, who's yeah. English, so that's one point. Oh, what's that? No, I love that now, sorry. You don't know? I don't know where he's from. Okay, he was born in California. Oh, okay. So that's one point, yeah, um, because that's one of the big things about... James Masters has got this great English accent, hasn't he? But yeah. Okay, well done. Next up, what does the surname of uh, Robia Lamorte, who plays Jenny Callender in season two, translate as, and in what language? Well, Lamorte. Lamorte. Italian, the death. You got one, out, you got one right. It's yeah. death, but it's Portuguese. Portuguese. So, well done, yeah. And of course, it's ironic, because of course, Jenny Callender, spoilers, Jenny Callender dies in a really quite, you know, surprising... Oh my god, why? Really? Yeah, there's um, a, do- 
it, well, there's Joss Whedon quote where he pretty much says, um, you write that episode one to make sure that people who didn't think that Angel Jealous was actually Angelus. Mm. No, he actually is evil. He's actually evil. He's not Angel <laughs> anymore. And two, basically saying, goes, hey, all that cast of mine, don't get too comfy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could all go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next. What role in what major blockbuster post Buffy did David Boreanaz, of course, he's such a central part of season two, turn down based on how he played Angel. So they, they they saw how he played Angel and they wanted him for this major blockbuster, but what but what what was it? He turned it down. Have you any idea? This was post-Buffy. This was a few years, a couple of years after Buffy. And he went off and did Bones instead. I'm going to make a major stab in the dark. Go on. Uh, Jack Ryan. No. It was Batman. Really? Bruce Wayne in Batman Begins. Christopher Nolan offered it to David Boreanaz before Christian Bale. You, no way. Can you imagine how his career would have gone if he'd have taken that role? No, yeah. would, that would have been ridiculous. I'd... And I think he would have probably done it very well, actually. Even though Christian Bale was a great Batman, I personally, I think, I think Boreanaz would have been, would have been really imagine? good, actually. I, I, I'm trying to picture Boreanaz's Batman voice. <laughs> would have been a bit more laid back, yeah, <laughs> I think, really. Swear to me. <laughs> Come on. No, we're all friends here. <laughs> that was a pot shot one. I, did, I didn't know this one either, yeah. that one. So that, you know, fair play. Um, good guess. Now, you may not get this one because this, this is really random. Which major US recording singing artist was technically an executive producer on Buffy? Technically. This is really random and it's very tether. Wow. I'll um, give you a clue. He's a woman. Doesn't narrow it down much. So that's, <laughs> but, that's, that's only half the world cut off. Yeah. Major recording artist. Mm. Not necessarily someone particularly major now, but somebody who has been major for quite a while. The only person, the only, the only person that pops into my head is Sarah McCocken. No, but no, that's the only that looks because of becoming that's because, yeah, yeah. Is Dolly Parton? What really? <laughs> yeah, Dolly Parton was managed. By someone called Sandy Gallin, who is an executive producer of Buffy, produces everything with Dolly Parton. So Dolly Parton technically had a kind of a, a knowledge or a say about some of the things that happened in Buffy and Angel. Yeah, yeah. It, for, for the record, Matt's looking at me now like like I've just sort of rewritten the world in his head. <laughs> are, you sure, are you sure you didn't go on an encyclopedia? <laughs> I know it sounds like something off encyclopedia. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's a random one to get. Okay, next. Which season two episode title is borrowed from 19th century poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow? Not one of the major poets. Well known, I think, in America, but he's not one of the biggest poets, you know. I keep having one episode keep thrown at me, but I'm going to jump say, but I'm trying to go through all the episodes first. Yeah. The Dark Age. No, it's not The Dark Age. It was When She Was Bad. And the poem goes, And when she was good, she was very, very good. But when she was bad, she was horrid. So they took that from that. Okay. Another random one. So I told you these would be difficult. <laughs> no, no, too, 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 too fair. I'm glad you're doing these difficult. In school hard, woo! Yay. What car does Spike drive? And what was it intended to be originally? Mustang. And I don't know what. Cadillac, I think. One, one point, yes. Because it was originally supposed to be a Cadillac. He was actually driving a DeSoto Sportsman. And it's I don't know my cars, but like, you know. Yeah, neither do I. Yeah, but that's a good guess. Cadillac, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was black. But it was supposed to be a Cadillac, yeah. Next up, in Halloween, what does Ethan Rain leave a note to Giles saying at the end? 
And what show is that a tribute to? The Prisoner and Be Seeing You. Well done! Two points. Be Seeing You, which was a often used as a farewell in 1960s cult drama, The Prisoner, with, uh, you know, Patrick McGowan. I'm no number, I'm a free man! You know, that all that. What season two episode did Joss Whedon get the idea for Angel, the show from? Oh, I know this. <laughs> You're doing quite well, though, to be fair. You've answered quite a lot of these questions. So, don't be too hard on yourself if you don't get this. Becoming. No. Oh. <clears throat> Sorry. It was I Only Have Eyes For You, where uh, and the scene where Angelus is possessed by a female spirit. He's apparently where he got the idea from. For the moment he went, ah, I can make a show of this. So, never mind. What in season two is it revealed Willow has an irrational fear of, and what is the condition called? It's not frogs. Frogs was in Old Robot You Jane. Spiders was in Nightmares. That's another season one. Uh, the hamster wheel is like running really fast the hamster is like generating my mind power is like swearing mm, at me inside mm. my head okay, we can hear it picking it oh, up actually man. oh oh um, the only thing that pops up again is frogs again but I don't know what the fear is called because oh. it's in what's my line to where she screams don't want the tadpoles and like she goes pardon and she goes Giles I have frog fear but I don't think it's meant I can't remember if it's I'm going to put you out your misery because you're right it is frogs yeah. okay <laughs> and you went full circle then because frogs was the first one you said yeah but uh, then it was revealed in the first one then because in I will have you Jane she start oh okay someone going frogs well, frogs frogs my, uh, my facts are wrong then from uh, bad IMDB because it says season 2 the, it is frogs so I'm going to give you a point for that the, the condition is called ran, ranidophobia okay. which is a bit of a random one but uh, so yeah well done you got that in the end in Killed by Death what three characters did Joss Whedon base Der Kinderstad from? The character of Der Kinderstad. Three, three movie characters as well, incidentally. Freddy Krueger. Point. Well done. Jason Voorhees. Nope. Well, I'll give you one more guess. So you Ingrid, get Bergman. Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid <laughs> Bergman. <laughs> I think okay. she might have been fictional. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, she was. Yeah. No, she wasn't. She was an actress. What am I talking about? Um, a Swedish actress, so no. Um, Freddy Krueger's right, though. Yeah, at one point. The other one was Nosferatu, the uh, the original vampire, uh, and the Boogeyman. Okay. Who is actually more of a folklore character, I suppose, than a movie character, but there you go. So, uh, yeah, well done for one point. And finally, what famous rocker in the Dark Age did the producers superimpose a young Giles' head on because he was holding a bass guitar? Mick Jagger. No. <clears throat> Sid Vicious. Because oh, Giles, Giles was a punk, wasn't he? In, in was like the seventies. Things I was going to say, Sid Vicious. I was going to say Sid Vicious, but oh. I think, but I think Sid Vicious was part of the inspiration for Spike, as well as Billy, yeah. Idol, as well as Billy Idol. But then, of course, there was the whole thing later in late seasons of Buffy that Giles and Spike had this very sort of it's a twisted kind of father son brother oh, yeah. older brother thing because they they because Giles kind of reminded himself of Spike, didn't he, in the old when he was younger. So it kind of, they kind of tapped into that more as it went it, on. It's, um, is it Tabula Raza where it goes, where the thing, the blood father and son, after that memory wipe, and he goes, yeah. what's my son? Randy? You call me Randy? <laughs> we just call me desperate for a shag, Giles. <laughs> or horny Giles, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, they had some great things. So, okay, final score then. You have scored 11 points. So Eight well times. done. Great uh, well, I'm not quite sure because we had a few questions that were double. But I, I, I would estimate around 20. So that's pretty good. You've got okay. over half. So well done. 
Well done. That was a good innings because they were quite tricky questions there. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be another quiz later on because uh, Latham's going to test my knowledge of another show. Um, there probably won't be as difficult as <laughs> Well, we'll see. Don't say that yet. But for now, we're going to move back on to some talk and we're going to talk about two shows, but neither of which I've seen, incidentally. So I'm going to let Matt take the lead and talk about these. Okay. Um, but the first one is the American version of The Office. Yes, The Office US. Um, I was pretty much trying to find a show to binge watch, and a friend of mine pretty much recommended watching The Office. So, um, I ended up going through about, in a period of two and a half months, going through and watching about 201 episodes of this, which is uh, pretty much a good feat. I think it was pretty much from November to the end of January, I think, and... Pretty much throughout Christmas, all I did was watch The Office. It was either that and play Final Fantasy VIII, but it's a whole other story. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, I wasn't sure what to expect when I first watched it, because obviously I was a massive, massive fan of the original with Ricky Gervais, and it's a massive part of British culture. And I remember watching the first couple of it, the first few episodes of season one, um, when it first came out, and the first... Well, the first episode is pretty much a toe-to-toe retread of the first episode of the UK one. Even the even the gag of um, where Tim pretty much puts Gareth's um, stapler in, like jelly, in jelly and everything. That's copied there. It's like he put his whole stuff's copied in there, but it's just slightly changed the Americanisms. And I, I think I watched that, and I didn't really. I think I watched another couple, but didn't really get into it. Uh, but throughout the years, I've heard good stuff about it, and. All this kind of stuff. And as I said, I think I was trying to think of things to do. And I was having a chat with a friend and she recommended The Office. And I thought, okay, I'll sit, down and watch, I'll sit down and watch that. And went through the first series. And then the second series got into that. And that's when it started to spin its own unique visions of the character. So it wasn't really... It kind of cast off the shadow of the, the UK. Well, one of the things that is unfair that a lot of people try and do is compare these. And, and we're not going to go down that road. But one of the things that's interesting is, is how... Yeah, how and when it distinguished itself from from the original show. Cause, because, I mean, I've, I think I watched the pilot of, of The Office. I think I have watched the pilot, actually, and I, I did quite enjoy it. But it's, Because I'm a massive fan of the original Office, it, and I remember watching it before anyone knew who Ricky Gervais was and, and, and all this. At the very beginning, I used to tape it mm-hmm. before anyone became big. And, and it was weird then watching the American one. And I didn't necessarily think it wasn't as good. It was just a, a different kind of take. But when when did it really blossom into not being that same idea to an extent, just being done in American style and become its own thing? And what was the change, really? I think it was season two. I don't know exactly what perhaps happened behind the scenes, mm. but I think they started. They changed. They changed the, the lighting because it was. They changed like. So I remember I went back and watched the first episode again mm. in the first, and the lighting was different. It, Everything feels a lot more brighter in season two. They toned down the David Brentisms out of Michael Scott, which is Steve Carell's character. Steve Carell, if you, you should know who he is, he's pretty much movie star extraordinaire. I love Lamb! Yeah. Brick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And can I just interject and just quickly, just as an aside, say, Steve Carell is in a film I watched the other day called Crazy Stupid Love. Which I don't know if you've seen this, Matt. No, I haven't. No. It's a you'd like it. It's it's a great romantic comedy, and Steve Carell is fantastic in that. And you can see where you know he's got a lot of this from. Steve, so. yeah. Steve Carell. Steve Carell is, pro- is one of the we- major weapons of the office. Of why it's pretty good, and um, 
But they they kind of start morphing based that they have a, a kind of background character. Pretty much every person that works in the office become gets their own quirks. So they have like a massive ensemble feel to it. Um, they start to spin original stuff onto the characters. I look I look back on I look back now and see how the character of Dwight Schrute, played by Rain Wilson, developed and I cannot picture Mackenzie Crook doing a hot well, ninety five percent of the stuff that Dwight Schrute does. Mm, which it, is it becomes, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it becomes his own unique character. There's a lot and the the build up the well, for the first few four seasons, anyway, the their equivalent of Tim and Dawn um, becomes Jim and Pam, and mm. the way that develops originally turns out to be really, really well done. I'll, I'll, as I go through the show, actually, it will be it kind of decipherable bit afterwards. Mm. But um, that gets really well done. But the the way that the handle Michael Scott, which is Tim Pam's character, is that. He becomes a lot more like. He's a lot more likable. He's he's less. Um, whereas David Brent was perhaps very very ignorant and was very self believe belief and everything. Yeah, self frustrated everything. Yeah, um, yeah. Michael Scott. He he has the mindset that he'd rather be someone's friend, but he doesn't have. He doesn't fully perhaps understand when the lines cross. So like. So he doesn't have the social skills basically to do of, what he yeah. wants to do. So like he. Whereas like. Where someone like um, there's like an ongoing joke where perhaps well then there's like he'll he'll always like make a comment about the character of Pam's breasts. Oh right, yeah. okay. But then instead of coming off like an ongoing joke, yeah, know, it, it's it was saying kind of a bit too pervy or mm. he doesn't know the fine line between the jokes <laughs> yeah. and stuff and everything. Yeah. Um, but, he, 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 but he's he's main. I'm laughing just at the thought of that to be honest. But his main his <laughs> his main quest is to be liked. Yeah, is is to be kind of liked and gauge the respect and. Mm. And he does a lot. Of, he does shoot himself in the foot a few times. Like um, often, there's an episode that Steve Merchant and Chris, uh, Chris, Ricky Gervais, and Steve Merchant. Chris Gervais. <laughs> there was an episode called The Convict mm. in season three, and it's pretty much they discover one of the new employees because um, they've done the, they did the whole adaption of the, the Swindon and Slave thing. It's Scranton, and I can't remember what the the other city was. But um, they they did their like, kind of longer drawn out version of that, and right. it works quite well. And, yeah, and how the Michael, two bra- the two yeah. brains have to merge into one. Basically. Yeah, how Michael Scott keeps his job is mm. is actually quite well done because because it, it, it makes him out to be the better person mm. than the other because the other person who's played by a guy called Chip Chipeston he used to be mm. on the whose line is it anyway. Okay. Yeah, he play he plays he he plays I think it's the Neil character. From the UK version, where he's the the manager of the one, right. and, he, and he's pretty much he's pretty much a star salesman, mm. and um, but star salesman, and you pretty much know that he's going to get the job and yeah. get rid of Michael Scott. But then he turned, but then it's revealed that he's been in cahoots with Staples. Um, ah, okay, yeah, he's a crook. And, well, not Staples. Well, he's pretty much been using the job offer to manage both this merged branch um, and managed to get more money from Staples and move to Staples, mm. and and one of and the character of Jim. Um, he says that you know what, say what you want against Michael Scott, who never would have done that, mm, and mm. and that's one that's like one of the kind of because he's got a very strong loyalty to the mm. the company. And there's in the original UK version, the character of Dawn was an artist or had like a yeah for art. Yeah, um, Pam has that as well, but she goes to an art school. This is before that, sorry. She has a she has an art show where she demonstrates some of her art. She goes mm. throughout the whole the, the office saying, "Oh, would you come there?" And they go, mm. oh, yeah, 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 even Jim. And I can't remember. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The wide doesn't go. But the only person to show up is Michael. Mm. And he, he shows up and... He like he's like really impressed and buys a picture of the building they're working and it pretty much hangs up and it's mm. pretty much in the background for the rest of the show. Mm. Which he's the only person there and like she's quite touched and kind of like moved by it and stuff and that kind of change and that I always think of that for him and that kind of encapsulates his quest to be liked. Mm. Um, but but then he also tries to be the person people depend on. Mm. Going back to that episode with Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant mm. again when he discovers that one of the people from the other branch is a, was an ex-convict. Mm. He then tries to lecture them. There's a, a lot, there's a recurring thing that happens in the majority of episodes where he goes, meeting people, meeting, and yeah. he sends everyone to the comments room and he tries to give like a, a, a lecture or a speech on a certain topic mm. that goes on. And he, But then he come back and he's in character as Prison Mike. Yeah. So he goes, yo, I was in prison, bitch. <laughs> and, go, and like starts yelling at people. And it, it yeah. doesn't work as well as he likes the yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. But he means well. He kind yeah. of means well, um, which is, which is where I mean, you, there's definitely a, a very different path between both shows there, yeah. isn't there? Because obviously the the British one was a lot more, uh, probably a lot colder to an extent, yeah. really a lot more icy in terms of what it wanted to really show, which yeah. was the a completely yeah, deluded yeah. fool, really. But yeah. but the, in essence, it was the same thing in that. The David Brent character, again, he just wanted to be liked. Really, he just yeah. wanted friends. He just wanted friends. He just wanted people to listen to him. And you know, and and, he, and that had, I suppose, more of a, a, an ending, which kind of was a bit more like the American office because the, the finale of the office itself is actually quite touching in places. And it, and it really does... It may, in the end, that David Brent is, is a nice guy. And, he, and he, he's actually shown up to be the nice guy, really. Yeah, well, I think the, the, st- I, there, he still hasn't lost all of those traits no, in him. But no. I think he's, Michael Scott has a lot less of those acidic traits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Michael Scott's, he's got that selfish, he's not as selfish as Brent. Mm. Brent has probably got a lot of selfish and delusion. Well, I think he loses that delusion, I think Brent loses that delusion throughout the whole Christmas special. Because mm. I think he gets a bit more of a worldview. But I think Michael Scott is a lot less, he's still got like, a view of himself that's not really real, but he's not as it's not as negative. Yeah, not as negative. And, and because nobody in that office in the in the Gervais one gave a toss about him. Yeah, you see, so there was no there was very rarely any yeah. connection whereas, with anyone. Whereas jumping the gunner section, the the, episode, the last few episodes of 
of uh, Steve Carell and mm. Michael Scott's final episodes that the whole of The Office pretty much have written a song and yeah. they do say goodbye and stuff and which you don't get with the other one no it's, it's... which you'll never do that with Ben's no and, it, and, it, and that's and if anything that, that really highlights the the difference between how an American and, and a British show deals with the same kind of ideas doesn't it and it, and it, it to relate it again to film, that is the, what happens in movies as well, in that you can get one movie do an idea you know, in a very specific yeah. way, and then an American movie will do it very differently. And, it, and it's all about... The whole idea with comedy is essentially the difference between British and American comedy is that the British like to see someone fail. Yeah. Whereas American comedy, they either like someone to have a happy ending or to, to win. And it's the whole, it's the whole Frasier... You know, kind of thing. It's why Seinfeld booked the trend quite nicely yeah. because Seinfeld was a show all about losers, really. Yeah, and that was that. But that was the great thing. It was very British in a certain in a certain oh, sense. Yeah. Kirby Enthusiasm is very the same, you know. But um, which probably is why they like a lot of British comedy the guys are writing. But The Office, and I'm not saying The Office isn't good for this at all. I'm not saying it's a bad thing because Frasier is one of the greatest sitcoms of all time, anywhere. You know, but it, it was always about at the end. Frasier would always be the good guy. The Oh, poor Frasier. Oh, we want Frasier to win. Yeah. Even even when he was being an ass. <laughs> yeah. So it's the same thing, isn't it? It's yeah. interesting the way things differ. Yeah. But the the, the character of Dwight Schrute, who I mentioned earlier, he is absolutely brilliant. And he's the he's the Gareth facsimile, isn't he? Yeah, but he's nothing like Gareth. He's, like, he's from a family of beet farmers mm. uh, with German heritage and stuff, and they've got their own twisted customs, and, and like he's very wound up. And there's a, one of the best ongoing jokes. is In the original... Tim used to um, play practical jokes on mm. Gareth. This continues throughout the whole thing, and there's like, um, and some of the best moments are in the cold opens. Mm. Um, for those in TV, cold opens are the little tag scenes you get at the start of episodes before the credit sequence, like a pre-credit yeah. sequence in a Bond movie or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, a majority, about ninety percent of these, are completely unrelated to the series. They're pretty much snapshots of life like life in office so like you'll have people um, talk about little idiosyncrasies and mm. characters and everything but then there's some where you have some pranks that Jim pulls on Dwight and there are some amazing ones there's like like one episode and, and actually what he does quite well which I didn't which I use I'm usually quite iffy on visual gags some of the pranks are brilliant visual gags Mm. In season three, there's one episode where Dwight walks in and finds his desk all wrapped up in Christmas paper. Everything's wrapped up in Christmas paper, <laughs> and Dwight's there going, looks at it and goes like, "Why? What's? Why is this all? Why is this all like this?" And he goes, and Jim's just shrugs and goes, "I don't know." Mm. <laughs> right. And he goes, "This is like that." And I got here. He sits down on his chair, which is also wrapped up. He goes and puts his like suitcase on there, and then Dwight suddenly leans back and puts his feet on. And then the whole his feet just go right through the whole thing because his desk is not there. <laughs> <laughs> and he fall, and, he, and the way the, the, the force he puts his feet on there, he falls off his chair and goes right through it. There's another one. Where, there's quite a lot of stuff to do with his desk. Like the one episode, there's one episode oh, where he comes in and all of his, his desk empty and all of his stuff is actually all in the vending machine. <laughs> yes, stuff. And he goes. On this house, and he starts putting money in to get all of his stuff out of the vending machine. And the first thing that goes out, it gets stuck. And another one where his desk is missing completely. And he follows oh. this wire, and it's pretty much Jim has set up all of Dwight's workspace in the men's bathroom. His phone starts ringing. He goes, I need to move the set. The phone starts ringing. He goes, Dwight's truth. Starts going, Yeah, yeah, I can put you in for this. And then one of the other characters walks out the toilets and goes, 
<laughs> just looks around blankly and gets. I, I, I forgot that I'm actually being recorded. But, but does it's, it's, the facial expression is really, really good? But does Ma- does Michael Scott know this is all happening and find it funny, or is it, is it never really addressed? It's, it's, it's not really addressed because yeah. there's a lot. And one of the things I'll pick up in a second is that it's it's Michael Scott's not that. It's pretty much on its own. So the this, the cast, the cast carry it on its own as well. Which is what the original did. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. You know. And 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 one of the and two other ones I need to mention as well. Which, in terms of these cold prank albums, is um, one Dwight comes in and Jimmy's pretty much dressed as Dwight and um, John Kranaski. Yeah, right. He he nails Rain Wilson's portrayal, and he pretty much with the gla- like thick glasses and like shirts and stuff, the speech mannerisms, and he's like, "Stop it! Stop it! No, stop it!" And then there's a, and and one of the later ones is that um, he comes in and like Jim's turned to Asian, turns Asian, and like he goes, "What? You're not Jim?" He goes, oh, "Yeah, I have." I have. I'm Jimmy stuff. And he goes, No, you're not. He goes, You're raging. He goes, I've always been this way. And he cuts back, he cuts, and he cuts to like, got these little talking heads. And two talking heads, and he goes, yeah. Oh, yeah, Steve's, uh, Steve's our actor friend. And, we just, <laughs> and, and, like, and, like, and he goes, No, 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 because, no, because you're married to Pat, and you're married to Pam. And so he goes, oh. goes Yeah, we've been married for ages. And like, there's a family photo of this Asian guy with, like, a, with um, Jim and Pam's daughter that I had in like, season eight. <laughs> And he goes, yeah, honey, and they kiss, and like, and like Dwight's there going, and Dwight's like, really, but what's up? He doesn't understand. Yeah. He's like, what? That's brilliant. You know, I, I love stuff like and that. Just, and that, I, that I, sounds I, really good. And, uh, Obviously, Steve Carell famously leaves, doesn't he, before yeah. the end of the of the actual show itself yeah. to pursue his movie career. I mean, he was obviously still doing movies as well alongside yeah, that, yeah. but now obviously he's he's got even bigger, and you know, he's one of the major comedy movie stars of Hollywood, but. Did the show, having suffered the loss of an actor, and it's not the only show to have this, you know, there have been other shows where actors have gone off to do movie careers yeah. and, you know, it's had to change things. How, does it, how did it change The Office going into its final few seasons? Did it have a detrimental effect? Did film kind of steal yes. the show and make it make it worse? Or Yes, because I think what happened was that, um, I, th- I can't remember what point in the show, Greg Daniels was the main showrunner. He left to do Parks and Recreation, which... Mm-hmm. I actually watched that first before I watched The Office. At the end of season seven, they end up doing this kind of little arc where there's a new boss each time, mm. and they're going to try and find a branch manager, and it kind of loses its way straight away. Season eight, Ed Helms' character becomes the manager, and then James Spader comes in as the CEO of this company mm. that runs Dunder Mifflin, the country there, and he's very at odds, and there's no real serialisation in it. And the, one, of the main problems, one of the main problems with season eight is that gets very cartoony and it doesn't and the character of Andy becomes really unlikable. Mm. The chief complaint I probably have with the show um, at that point is that it has a t- it had a tendency to change its tone so it'll go mm. from quite a very subtle character based comedy so you'll have the subtleties of Michael's mm. idiosyncrasies and like social commentary and stuff and basically when he comes in and, and says like you shouldn't be racist but then he says it in, a chi- in the most racist Chinese voice <laughs> you can ever do but then you'll have cartoon stuff. So while so Dwight Dwight's probably the chief example is that he'll get really quite cartoonish mm. and he'll start doing stuff that is is not exactly realistic or right. like you'll you'll see his farm and he's got his cousin Mose, which is played by uh, I can't think of the actor's name, but like he's like very Amish, he's got a massive like Amish beard and stuff yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and like he'll like come in wearing like costumes and stuff and but then you'll have moments where um, Michael Scott's driving driving and the GPS tells him to turn right mm. and then 
Dwight's there going, no, there's a river there. No, no, the GPS telling me to go forward. Mm. And he drives to a lake. <laughs> which is, I think, the jump the shark moments. Yeah. Where, and the cartoonish element where the show doesn't fully understand how stupid he wants his characters to be. Mm. Without Michael Scott, that kicks into a puppet notch. Because you've got James Spader being James Spader. Mm. Right, and being hypersexual all the time. Right. And it, tur- and it turns out, actually, that in season season nine, uh, Greg Daniels comes back. They add a bit more serialised elements. They bring the focus back onto the characters of Jim and Pam's relationship. And it kind of gets that kind of tone back, where it's a bit more subtle. The characters are very large in life, but it gets that t- consistency back mm. because Greg Daniels comes back and it gears up towards a finale, the finale, which is, is really good. And it starts to explore who the documentary crew is. Mm. So they've been following for nine years, and it builds up to the end of this documentary. And it builds up to a quite consistent finale, actually. It's a bit fan-wanky, perhaps, at times. Mm. Um, and a bit self-congratulatory. But then I was watching it after two months. The people will be watching these characters for, like, nine and a half years. Nine seasons worth. Mm. And it kind of has, a, like, a new nice happy ending. Everyone mm. has a happy ending. And, in fact, the, so you've got these final talking heads about people who watch the show and about life and stuff. And it gets quite, put, gets quite emotional. And there's some quite deep things that some of the characters say mm. there's always it's like with the UK one there's always a piece of dialogue that Tim says uh, by Martin Freeman and I've always I can't remember it verbatim but it's something like that it's before Dawn comes back and he goes you know what uh, and there's a line that says you, you work you go to work and you leave these people like 8-9 hours a day you're with these people for much longer than your own family mm. and I can be working here for 10 years and mm and ten years and stuff the only thing we have in common is that we work on the same piece of carpet yeah. and it's a brilliant line and, he says, and it's very true and it's, yeah and it's, it's it's something that and it's all and it's one of those piece of lines that affects me and stuff and then and then it cuts back to the character of Pam by Jennifer, Jennifer Fisher and I've, I ended up developing a massive crush on the character mm. as well he says I watched the documentary I only watched a few episodes I couldn't stand Pam I just felt like I was screaming at her and says like I was five feet away from Jim and it took me four years to get him Mm. Right, and like, and she says, like, I hope that someone watches it. Okay, I don't know how stupid it sounds, but I hope that, that someone watches it or someone watches it and says, you know what? I see her. I'm gonna jump and leap for something. I mm. want to see that and leap for it, and, and I hope that my life impacts somebody else. Mm. And that that kind that piece of dialogue kind of like, yeah, kind of clicks on me. It and it works, and it kind of works really well. The characters have a nice happy ending. Um, people will end up being friends and. It just feels like a nice, good, uplifting finale. It's probably one of the best finales I've seen. Mm. It is a bit too window-washy, but then again, it is a comedy show, and it probably deserved all that. Mm. So, and it, and it, it does kind of redeem majority of season eight. I've got to say that the great final line of of the British Office, uh, and I don't know if it's actually the final episode of the British Office, but it's the it's the final episode of the second season, and it, it's like a concluding line. And it sums up the difference kind of between the more American optimistic look mm-hmm. and things like that and maybe the British one in that David Brent says, if you want the rainbow, you've got to put up with the rain. <laughs> Do you know which philosopher said that? Philosopher in inverted commas, Dolly Parton. <laughs> and people say she's just a big pair of tits. <laughs> now, that, that's one of my favourite lines of all in that, in that show. A lot of Dolly Parton in this podcast, isn't there? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> That's what you want to say, Tony? I know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, the great thing about both shows is that they do, um, and from what you've told me about The Office and what you told us about The Office, is they do make a point to actually say something about 
about people's lives. Yeah. And and even though it's done through this prism of comedy, I mean, the best comedy does this anyway. Yeah. It always has. The best yeah, comedy definitely. always says something about life or about how people think or about how people feel. And it helps unless if you care about it. these people. Hey? Unless you're random, isn't it? Just... Well, yeah, unless it's Father Ted, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and that's just, you know, just <laughs> yeah. anarchic randomness. Yeah. But, um, but even that would, in a way, is kind of about friendship, Father yeah. Ted, in, in, to some extent. It's just really odd. But no, it's... That, that, and that's the point, I think, and that's why, even with the last couple of seasons not maybe being as effective with the main star going off and having a film career, yeah. it's it's another evidence of television that's yeah. that's speaking a bit higher and trying to yeah. do things that maybe in the past comedy movies would have done and not TV yeah. not TV shows. So, but I I I I do recommend it. It does go slightly off near the end. Season two and five are brilliant. Season five actually is a very very strong. It, there's a whole section in. The, halfway through it where he kind of gets fired and starts his own paper competing paper company and that's a really good strong funny episode but it also does a lot for the characters as well mm. and it's little moments like that there are moments where it really tugs on the heartstrings on the heart when it, when they remember they exist and think of stuff to do the Jim and Pam relationship has some really touching moments um, and like and you get the real sense that these two belong together um, mm. Which is quite different. Cause part of me, I've always had the mindset that I, that I, I've always thought that Tim and Dawn will probably not be together. If you, if you ever return to the office, I always had the, the idea. Did you really? So, yeah. Part of me always thought that perhaps they probably wouldn't last. I've never remember. thought that, but because I didn't want to think of that really. Yeah. Because I think that. Well, I, I've never really thought of that until after I watched the US one mm. with Jim and Pam because they were so like, quite in sync, quite but, succinct. Because so it's, it's, I think Tim and Dawn was always like a, a more of a escape from the surroundings from each other which is initially what Jim and Pam was mm. but they felt like actual soulmates but rather than the American office but Sandy got the chance to actually develop that more oh, and it def- made definitely. it made it more it, it showed it showed beyond the point that we got with Tim and Dawn which was yeah. just the, the realisation of this of this love story and a love story that everyone everyone thought literally up until the last five minutes of the show wasn't meant to be yeah. And, it, and they were really going to do a bittersweet story about somebody, two people who should be together, who never get together. And of course then, there's that marvellous moment where you think yeah. it's finished, and then she comes back and she and kisses him. And it's, <laughs> yeah. and it's massively romantic, and it works beautifully. It shouldn't, but it does. <laughs> I think it's like that, to that, that, the song that plays, is, is it, I can't remember which version of Only You it is. Is it the Flying Picket version? It's... Or is it the other version? Is it the Yazoo version? I think it's, it's the Yazoo, yeah. It's the Yazoo. Yeah. I mean, that, version. That, that, oh, that song is now synonymous it's, with that scene for me. Actually, well, it, it is between It's between that. It was until I watched Fringe. A oh, bit, yeah. And, and the first episode of the last season of Fringe has oh, that song, and it's brilliantly done. Too fellow, I mean, I played that song, and that just reminded me of that song. But it did remind me yeah. of The Office, definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, yes, anyway, yeah. But so, no, and, and, but that's, that's the thing, you know. It's, it's two shows of the same, the same genesis doing things in different ways, yeah. and... Again, punching its way to yeah. television. So, yeah. so if we've got one really good show by and large, let's talk about one that maybe isn't punching its way okay. so far. Which is again something I haven't seen yet, but this perhaps ties into movies even more because um, we're going to talk about Agents of Shield. Yeah. Now, obviously, Agents of Shield, if you've been living on Mars, is a show <laughs> which takes the idea of. Uh, Shield from the Marvel Universe, basically, which has been established since roughly Iron Man in two thousand and eight, and there's this been it's been building up this Marvel Universe of movies 
which has culminated in the Avengers with a bunch of different superheroes who have been coming together with their own movies. So it's Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, and around it has been this agency called S.H.I.E.L.D. who have been... And they're basically a covert agency, government agency, who are involved in cleaning up the mess that is left behind of the superhero world and investigating different things and all that kind of thing. It's kind of like... Uh, it, it's and it, it, on paper it sounds like a perfect idea in that it's a TV show that spins off a key part of the Marvel Universe that the Marvel films will never have time to devote to properly because, simply, they're dealing with these characters. So the point is that as we go towards the end of the first season, most public opinion seems to be that it doesn't work. That a show that surely it must be more effort to get wrong than get right isn't working. So... My question to you, Mr. Latham, is, is that true? And if so, why? I hold faith it'll get better. Yeah. Because <laughs> it hasn't had the most interesting of starts. Mm. The problem I think it was is that you've had these massive blockbusters shows with all these superheroes and everything, and mm. you've got this universe with... The Marvelverse is just rich with so many story mm. possibilities. And, okay, you can't do that on the TV budget, you, but you've got... ABC, Disney, Marvel, with their fingers in this pie. And you somehow managed to make the most expensively boring show <laughs> on TV. It's like, hey, there's probably more boring stuff, but in what it should be, and the pedigree as well, around this, I mean, it's, everyone classes it as a Whedon show. I mean, it's, it's probably Jed Whedon and his wife that did the most of the show running so far. Because obviously this was instigated by Joss Whedon, wasn't yeah. it? After Joss Whedon directed The Avengers, which was finally Joss Whedon's you know, middle finger to everyone who's been yeah. denying him everything for the last 10 years since Buffy. Yeah. And he's finally proven that he is a brilliant, talented filmmaker. There's a great, there's a great tweet, I think a friend of ours called Lee, mm. he tweeted once that I always remember now, sorry, where he says like, quit, oh my God, someone's merged both timelines where Joss Whedon is A, critically applauded, <laughs> B, a success, and merged them together at once. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because yeah. that's never happened before. Yeah. Um, not since the days of Buffy, and even Buffy and Angel had a fight on his hands, yeah. and it was a cut on his hands, and he, he still fought against a lot of yeah. stuff, and Angel obviously was cancelled. Yeah. But he's now instigated Shield, so you know it, it was he, he doesn't have time to show it because he's busy making Avengers too. But it's it it still has his poor print. Yeah, it, well, it? yeah. So, well, he's, I think he's got a good creative. Cause he, I think he's got a, a role in developing the stories for each of the, the Marvelverse and the Marvels. Mm. So he has got like a kind of overview of what happens but I think day to day running showing is done through his brother his and his sister-in-law well he's done a lot of uncredited work I think on Captain America 2 which is coming out in uh, about a month's time yeah. and that that's very much centres on S.H.I.E.L.D. and from what I've been told that's that the fallout from that film is going to factor into Shield, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s first season finale I think mm-hmm. or around the end from what I've heard anyway so yeah, yeah you know. but then again though um, going back to the dullness that might that is S.H.I.E.L.D. the, the agents of Tired or the agents of Dull, as people have been calling it. Right. Um, they had a show which um, had the fallout from Thor 2. Mm. And it basically followed and it basically followed them chasing a stick and it had Peter McNichol. Okay. Yeah. As, so I was like, oh, we might finally see someone from Asgard. Yeah, blah, blah. Uh, no. No. Turns out that Peter McNichol is the Asgard that you'll see. Not no. yeah. like Idris Elba or something. No, no. <laughs> well, apparently... Um, <clears throat> Is it Jamie Alexander? Jamie Alexander is, was Sif in the films, wasn't she? And she yeah, she's supposed to be a guest starring role. Mm. But, I mean, and she's great. And, and Sif is one of the underused characters from, from Thor, and especially in Thor 2. Thor 2 was a, 
a fairly average Marvel movie in my opinion anyway. It wasn't great. It was good, it wasn't great. It felt like an Avengers retread to some extent. And Sif, unfortunately, gets short shrift for plot lines, so Sif she deserves <laughs> more. <laughs> yeah. um, and she she's a really good character. Jamie Alexander's a great actress, yeah. and loves being smoking hot. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it, it, yeah it's, it's not maybe giving... Is it... Is it not giving the fans what they want, really? I think is that the problem? Yeah, well, I think also as well, you've got very dull story of the week plot lines to go through. I mean, the past, next, the last few have been a lot... But, well, I, I never realised that I missed an episode until about halfway through the last one I watched. Mm. I missed episode 12. Mm. I didn't realise well, that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's... But, but then I think they're starting to slowly build serialisation into it. Mm. And they're starting to have characters, characters going to stay build upon to each other mm. but the characters aren't that most in- interesting there's a there's a brilliant running joke on AV Club in the comment mm. section of the reviews on Agent Shield for um, Agent Ward um, I think it's Brent Dalton I think the actor is and they're basically giving names like Rock McFudchest Slag McHunkmeter or guys like was it Thi- the best, one of the best ones was um, thi- thyroid McSlab Slab, <laughs> and it's basically people commenting these names. Yeah, and it's, he... it's the it's, it's the funniest part of mm. Shield at the moment. He's basically the running joke of renaming character of Ward. You've got Ming Na, who I think is a really good actress, and she's been in quite a few things. She was in Stargate Universe. Mm. She was in, I think she was in the R. I think she might be mm. in the R. Mm, I think she um, was, yeah. Um, she's uh, and she's been in quite a load of stuff. Um, she was, she was Chun-Li in Street Fighter as well. Yeah, don't, <laughs> Street let's not mention that. <laughs> I'm not the original Street Fighter. Or, or the second one. The, 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 the Raul Julia yeah, Street Fighter. Oh, well, that's different, because yeah. that film's great. <laughs> in a terrible yeah, way. That, yeah, but, that, that, yeah, but you know. she's like probably the most... Well, apart from perhaps Clark Gregg um, yeah. as Coulson. Who, um, obviously, is the only major character to transfer to the small screen from yeah. the big screen, isn't he? Yeah. And the but, Avengers yeah. and the movies. And you've got, they're not that interesting... But they have they have a focus on Chloe Bennett's character, the character of Sky, who's a hacker, mm. and she's not the most interesting, and she's quite annoying. Lately, you started to find a bit more of a backstory, and there's probably more of a mystery developing on. And I think as the season will go, she'll probably develop into a slightly more interesting character. But the supporting characters aren't really lighting the stage up, and mm. there's a lot of stereotypical, cliched stuff that happens. Mm. There's there's a moment where, like, one of the characters starts talking about uh, another character and he goes, looks up, he's standing right behind me, isn't he? Oh, yeah. In a, jo- in a show that's got a Josh Whedon proper in time, you don't, you can't... Which, or, unless that's done with a twist, an ironic twist yeah. or something, which would have been done in Josh's yeah, own stuff. Yeah, the thing is, though, if Josh, if Josh, if Josh Whedon would have read that, it would have gone... He would have, the character would have continued on saying bad stuff, mate. And he goes, and he goes yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And he like, goes, he you, do know is, is you, do, you do know you're standing behind me. He goes, yeah, I was, yeah, mm. was going to see how long it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and he'd have like, yeah, made be, it into a joke. Thing, yeah. the, it strikes me as an outsider. And the reason I haven't watched it isn't because I'm not interested at all. It's more the fact that I've, A, I've heard so much negativity. B, I've just missed the airings of it. And C, personally, right now, I don't tend to watch things week by week. I'd rather block watch things. But... It seems to me, from what I've heard, that it's potentially trying so hard to please everyone, it's pleasing no one. Yeah. And, and that it's because it's got this massive financial thing behind it, this, the biggest thing in Hollywood right now, and it's you know, leading the way, and it's got the biggest companies in the, in the movie world behind it, and it's got so much money potentially and so much backing that it's afraid to rock the boat in terms of storytelling or characters yeah. because it doesn't, want to, it doesn't want to produce something that maybe will get 
a cult following because it, it wants more than that because it's so big and it's supposed to have this massive connection to these massive franchises that it's trying to be all things to all men. And as a result, it's not really being anything of interest. And it's, it's, it sounds regressive to me. It sounds quite regressive. Yeah, it is. When, when we talked earlier about all these TV shows lately that have really tried to, if not outdo film, and certainly emulate certain ideas or, or really push the medium, it seems like something that would have been made maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago and be seen as quite cutting-edge and exciting. But now, after the X-Files, after Alias, after, you know, all of Chuck, after all of these yeah. shows that have come well, and after, gone. After, after Joss Whedon's own heritage, we've got well, well, yeah, the Angel, as well. as well. I mean, like... Exactly. So it feels like, well, why is it sounding like a, a show from 1992? Yeah. It's, and it's, uh, I think, you know. I, I still have, I mean, I still have, I managed to sit through a whole season of Mutant X and I don't know Good how. Lord above, you really are a TV addict. Yeah. <laughs> I managed, oh, so, oh God. Next to me, tell me you used to watch Andromeda. Not all of it. Oh, God. Not You've suffered. It. You've suffered. But, I mean, I, I still think there, is, there are threads of a decent show. I think, once, I think the characters are going to find itself. I mean, a lot of people said Angel's first season was very haphazard and, didn't, and it didn't find itself until, like, well until, well until Wesley. Well, yeah, you know? I would agree. Definitely. And, then, like, and then, mm. by, then again, by, the, by halfway through season one, all the characters had... The killing off one of the main characters was the best thing mm. it did because it added extra layer of characterisation mm. for, mm. well, Angel more or less. Yeah. And I think that's what's going to I don't think there's going to be a massive death in the characters, but there are probably stuff things happen, there are things happening in terms of character dynamics mm. and stuff you find in there about the history of characters that are starting to develop. Because I still think that I, the first season of Fringe was, I, I, I gave up on Fringe originally, episode 7. And the only reason I started watching it again was because people were telling me it's about the third season. Definitely, about was. alternate dimensions and stuff. And I'm a massive sucker for time travel and alternate dimensions. So, but I, I, am also quite strict in that I have to watch everything. Well, yeah. So yeah. I had to go and. But I mean, Fringe is an example of a show that you you, you wouldn't get the same amount out of it if you hadn't watched from the beginning. Yeah. You know, and even though the beginning was very procedural I, and slow. And I mean, it suffered. Unfortunately, it was it was around the time that a lot of shows were making a lot of Fox shows were making episodes that were about fifty minutes. Yeah. And Sarah Connor Chronicles suffered from the same thing in that, it, that those extra five minutes sapped the pacing something rotten. It, it 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 was ironically one of the times when more more time didn't do the show any favors because yeah. it didn't mean as opposed to forty two minutes where it has to run on gas. Yes. It was you know it was yeah. slowing it up and. The- you can do that with the Sons of Anarchy, where if anything, you don't have enough time to tell everything because it's yeah. a big mosaic. But with a show that should be an action show or a sci-fi procedural show, it needs to move. And you know. things though, even though if it's forty-two minutes, it still doesn't move that well. Well, that's the problem. Fringe had um, as much. I, I use Fringe as a defence. Like, well, Fringe didn't work that well when it first started. Um, someone says yes, but Fringe still had Peter Noble as. John Noble. John Noble. Peter Noble. You fused yeah, Peter think, Bishop yeah. and John Noble. <laughs> and to be fair, that's not the first time I've done that. But it's... It had it John had, Noble and yeah, Joshua Jackson. Yeah. And things though, it was yeah. more like you got John Noble being amazing and Joshua Jackson going, hang on, what happened to this snotty-nosed kid that was in Dawson's Creek? He's yeah, because really he was great. He was really deadpan yeah. and funny and, and cool. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and, okay, and it'd probably take about a good another season before Anna Torv became... And Olivia actually felt like a main character, but she was never the best thing in the show, anyway. She, no. To be honest, but that, the, that's the point in that it, it just the best. Then again, now season three, I think she drove she, the first oh, half of season three. Yeah, I'm not taking anything away from her, but the the point is that 
fringe from the beginning, even though it maybe didn't have the stories all the time. It didn't have the pacing. Yeah. It had the two. It had two certainly two excellent characters who were excellent all the way through with two really good actors. Does Shield have that? Really? Uh, it's, it's developed. J. August Richards is starting to become like a kind of minor character through it. And for those, J. August Richards was um, Gunn from Angel. Mm. One of the few, I think, one of the few characters from regular characters in Angel that didn't start from Buffy. Yes, but, but he's a minor the, character. Yeah. And when you're saying the mo- when I ask you that question, you go, "Well, J. August Richards is playing a minor character. He's quite interesting." That's yeah, that's, that's, the problem. that's the problem. You didn't mention any of the main cast. Yeah. The people were supposed to be the mis- through the mystery, this with the mystery behind um, Agent Coulson's not that interesting either. Mm. So, but and like it's just basically building up slowly. We want answers, but nothing's really kicking in, and it's not. It's really not that. that good. I, I still have hope though that the last episode was called, was a lot better, and I, I, actually, I, I actually left it going. Oh, actually, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing next week, which is the first mm. time I think I've actually thought. Uh, that. Well, this is it as well, and you do have to give a lot of shows time. In that, the majority of great shows actually. In fact, I, almost all the great shows I can think of in the last twenty years all started fairly slowly or with. Uh, and not so impressive first seasons. The X Files, Babylon Five, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, even Breaking Bad, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was good, but it wasn't great, you know. And it's like, well, all it took these... me ages to get around to, to find the drive to do to watch. Two. Yeah, exactly. So but then they... again, five of season two, I couldn't stop. And it's off, and, and you quite often find that in most of those shows, in fact, as well. You know, Deep Space Nine took till season three, but well, the end of season two. But yeah, a lot of them it takes them at least one season, if not two seasons, to really bed in, kick off. But the difference was all of those shows, every single one of them, they had they had a Duchovny or Anderson, they had a you know an Armin Shimmerman, they had a, a an Andreas Katsoulis. You know what I mean? They they had all of yeah. these great actors playing really interesting parts. You know, a Brian Cranston. You know, yeah. And it's Hal. <laughs> well, then again, you know, half that was like, wait a second, this is Hal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hal. What's Hal doing? <laughs> well, yeah, in, in here. But it had all these really, really good character, actors playing characters who were interesting but didn't have everything else around them. And then they finally found it all and it all came together. If S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't have that, then it's got, it's got a fundamental problem it's going to find hard to change. I think, the thing is, I think Clark Gregg should be that, but I don't think he's been having the material to do it. And mm. the, the pilot was, was not that bad. And... Clark Gregg, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Clark Gregg, yeah. Clark Gregg, he's, he's, he's almost on Nathan Fillion levels of, mm. of handling Joss Whedon dialogue. Because there, there are certain actors that can... I mean, Nathan Fillion needs, just needs to do stuff that Joss Whedon writes for him because he is a perfect fit. And Clark yeah. Gregg, I think, is very similar. But then Joss Whedon hasn't written anything else. Right, and that's the point, yeah. you see. So it, it, it seems to be a fusion of certain things, really. It seems to be characters that don't necessarily have the best casting behind them or the writing that isn't fully, you know, isn't fully there, the storyline isn't fully there. Yeah, it, it's a shame because, it, like, like I say, it has this, 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 these tentacles into the biggest franchise going yeah. right now. Movies that, ironically, have pushed the, the, the envelope quite often. You know, they have done different things than you expected. You know, they've, they've hired really creative people like Shane Black for Iron Man 3 or, you know, Kenneth Branagh for Thor. And they've they've taken these superhero movies into a really and it's, the reason it's worked so well is because they've they've pushed they've challenged they've had Joss Whedon do the Avengers which is just yeah. brilliant so to then do a very bland sorry I just realised I know why that won the that episode won the Emmy now okay <laughs> hold on sorry hold on to to to, um, 
you know, to go from that to a very dull, piecemeal mm. TV show seems a real disconnect. And it seems like, it seems like, I mean, it'll definitely get a second season simply because yeah, it it's could. S.H.I.E.L.D. and yeah. because of the money. But let's hope that it really does do the movie series justice. Yeah. And, and, and kind of prove, keep proving the idea that, because it's, it's an important show in the sense that it's, it's an indicator of what might happen more in terms of these big movie franchises spinning off into different things. I mean, you know, you could well have, if the DC Justice League thing comes off with Man of Steel and Batman, mm-hmm. you could well have certain characters spin off into TV shows yeah. on certain networks from that. So, you know, like, like how well Arrow's doing, for instance. I know yeah. that's not going to be part of it, but there was even talk of Arrow going onto the big screen to be part of that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I don't think that's going to happen. Gonna, but it's that, like, that, that, that's how Arrow's going to... Probably spin off, getting a spin off about the flashes. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you know, you've got all these different things coming off that are going to connect to movies and movie characters and things like that. And if Sh- Shield's going to need to, Shield's leading the way to an extent. It's pioneering that, and it needs to step its game up. I think to prove that that can work because that's going to be a big thing for the future of TV. I think and movies. Mm-hmm. So come on, Shield, get your game up. Yeah, go on then. Sorry, I just. So I'm sorry for that adverse, <clears throat> just but I think the talk of just winning. And I suddenly realised that I think it would. Have I only, is it, I only got eyes for you, the one? I think it was. Becoming. Becoming. No, it wasn't. I said becoming, but it wasn't. Hang on, for what? For the Emmy? Yeah. For the hairstyling? Yeah. No, that was becoming. Was it? Yeah. Only, if I, I've only got eyes for you was the uh, an, the Angelus thing. Completely. completely. Uh, the, the, the him becoming, thinking of Angel, the show. Oh, so I, thought, I, I suddenly thought it was to do with the 1950s. No. <laughs> All that build up, and it was wrong anyway. Yeah. <sighs> okay. We're going to move on uh, to the final little bit, which is going to be my quiz. Yes. Now, now I've chosen, um, and this is going to be a complete shock to you if you've been listening all the way through, I've chosen The X-Files for my quiz, and I've chosen Season 2 as well. Um, because for both these shows, Season 2 is where it really kicked in properly. And, you know, the first season of The X-Files was, was a lot more standalone. It was very procedural. Um, it had some good ideas, but it didn't really know what it was yet. You know, and it had some great episodes in there, and Mulder and Scully were starting to come together, and 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 the character the characters were there. They just needed a bit more seasoning. Season two, well, it starts off, and they're not on the X Files, you know, and it, it's all been thrown up in the air, and they have to really get back into it, and it takes a real turn simply by the coincidence of fate, in that Gillian Anderson was pregnant, and she became pregnant, and she had to go off, and they went, oh my god, how are we going to write round her pregnancy? Uh, okay, let's. Let's have her abducted by aliens. <laughs> and from the, and from from <laughs> from the, my research, it um, turns out that was the best thing the show did. Well, for the few long term planning, it was it was the trigger for a mythology that lasted for the rest of the show's long life. And you know, you'll get critics and people debate whether it was a good idea, whether the X Files should have really stayed a procedural, supernatural monster of the week kind of show with the odd alien episode, like season one. I personally think it was the best thing it did because it made it's it started to make it about Mulder and Scully as opposed to it being about the cases they're on. And at that point it became a phenomenon. It was at that point that everyone was hooked. The two episodes where she was taken, Dwayne Barry and Ascension, Dwayne Barry especially, is a, a phenomenal piece of television. You know, it it, it well, Emmy's for guest star and everything, still Rousback who played Dwayne Barry. And it's got um just some some stonking acting. And the and the season two, the arc of that, I've just Carry on. Answered one of your questions, haven't I? Carry on. Uh, <laughs> I can see on his face, he's grinning. And it's got... He's going to have no questions left by the end of this. <laughs> and I... Hurry <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, just, it just escalates from there. And it's still got plenty of standalones, but it's got 
some season two if, if everyone said, people say oh the X-Files was terrifying season two is the, is the show is the show I would point them to when they say why is it terrifying I'd point them to episodes like Fresh Bones which was to do with voodoo which is absolutely shit scary even yeah. today you know it's it, and it's got some it's got really dark episodes um, <laughs> like Irresistible which is about a death fetishist mm-hmm. who basically starts taking bits of the dead and uh, it, it's it's terrifying and it was the show personally I think at its best in many ways simply because it, it blended the, the characterisation with the stories and the mythology ended with a whomping cliffhanger that really sh- threw the show up in the air but also was terrifying and inventive and funny and creative and the show was still good for many years but I don't, I don't think it's ever been quite as good as season 2 and, I, and it's always the season that I rewatch first if, I'm, if it's on Netflix, I'll put on an Ephemasculato or a Die Hand of Ilets. I'll just okay. put these episodes on. So that's why, for me, it's my choice. And it holds up as one of the best TV seasons of anything ever. Okay. So, okay then. So let's go through some <clears throat> of these questions. It's a good one. 15 questions on X-Files Season 2. Exciting. How many Emmy nominations did the show receive for the second season? Oh! Ho-ho! Oh, oh! I'm not very good with numbers. Um, I, I have no idea. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess. Seventeen. Seven. Oh, I got, I got. Do I get a point for having one of those numbers in? <laughs> Which actor slash actress was nominated for Outstanding Guest Star? I could offer you a hint if you want to, but I don't. Let me no, think. Nicely, no, I won't give you a hint because it might be too obvious. Let me think. Well, I did just say Steve Rousback, but I think he won. So, I don't think that's the answer, is it? Stop, pl- stop putting your poker face on. He's staring at me. Right, I'm going to go with Steve Rouse back, because you were grinning earlier. No, it's not. It's CCH Pounder. Oh, CCH Pounder. For the same episode, <laughs> Dwayne Barry, as, as the, the, the hostage negotiator. Oh, got it. How many episodes did Chris Carter write? He didn't write the, he didn't write the premiere. That was one, Morgan Wong. He wrote Dwayne Barry, and he directed Dwayne Barry. He did... He may have done one breath. He did... He was involved in Colony, Endgame. He was... He would have done Anasazi. Eight. I've got seven. Oh! I can't name, I can't name which one, so I haven't got them written down. So, so far I've got no out of three. <laughs> yes, I'm doing awful, and you thought these were going to be easy. <laughs> yeah, if, if, okay, that's it, though. If you don't get this one, which episode didn't contain Dean Anderson? Didn't contain three. Yes. With the vampires. Yes. Uh, where Mulder was on his own, investigating the vampire court in Los Angeles. Really good episode, actually. Yeah. Side fact, little bit of trivia. He met his then girlfriend Perry Reeves yeah. in that episode. That was originally a question that I changed. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, difficult question. Name the actor who played Ryan Barry. Uh, oh, okay. This is hard. Uh, I think it begins with is it, is it Bob Chuck. Uh, no, it was Steve. Steve Rouse back. Yes. Yes. Ah, yeah. Chucker. Uh, what were Bill Mulder's last words? Forgive me. Yep. What actress... After being shot by Alex Krychek in a yeah. fantastic moment. Yeah. What actress was supposed to play X before being recast as Stephen Williams? Um, uh, Natalia Nagulich, who played Admiral Nechaev in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Yep. And that's a good scene, actually. That is on YouTube, that scene of her as X. So if you're a fan of The X-Files, look that up, because it's fascinating to watch. Okay. She was a template also for Marita Covarubias in later seasons, who replaced X. So. Okay. Mm. Who played Samantha Mulder in Colony? Megan Leach. Yep. Who re- reoccurred many times over the season. 
Nine the episode, The Crycheck and Exo Introduced. Sleepless? Yes. It's episode four, I believe. What was the main intent of the herbal drug in Excelsior's die? The main intent. Oh, ooh. The main intent. That was a that was a creepy episode, that haunted hospital. Uh, what was it meant to do? Oh. It, well, it, I think it was, it, it was being cultivated by this, this Japanese guy in a basement. I think he was trying to stop people being able to see the ghosts. No? No, it's no, the other one. What was the other thing? What do you mean? There was, there, there was, there was something it was meant to do first. I think that was a side effect. Well, this is what well, that's what Wikipedia tell me. Oh, um, to make the old cure the old people of something. I, I don't know. I, I no, I, I pass. Uh, it was curing Alzheimer's. Ah, close, close. Name the substance that possessed Doctor Chester Ray Batten. Um, soft light. That's the name of the episode. Uh, oh, oh, hang on a minute, hang on, because it was what's it called? Hang on, I know I love soft light. It's a great episode. Tony Shalhoub playing. Dr. Banton. Oh, Dark Matter. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Which future Aaron Sorkin lead appeared in this season? Oh, uh, Bradley Whitford. Yep. In Firewalker. Yep. He got killed in the volcano. Yep. Uh, Originally, originally, I was going to ask you to name the episode. Can you name the character? Dr. Oh. Oh. But this this isn't a question. This isn't actually a question. Originally it was, but I I changed it afterwards. Dr. Is it, you're not going to get any points for this, by the way. No, I know, but I'm just, I just want to get it now. <laughs> Dr. Vengli's, Vengloss? Daniel Trepkos. Trepkos, that's it, Trepkos. Daniel. It is, you're right, Daniel Trepkos. So far, I think you've got 7 out of 12 so far. It's not bad. Um, name the boat featured in Dud Calm. Oh, God, Dud Calm. On the ghost ship. You know, it's just, these questions are completely different to much us. Yeah, <laughs> but they're, they're yeah. still tricky, though. You've done yeah. well. Uh, oh, the that said um, that said though these last three are ones that I changed after he texted me this morning saying that some of these were going to be difficult for me <laughs> so I just literally tried to do these are ours no I don't know the USS Ardent oh, forgot it yeah okay I wouldn't have got that what were the messages that were found on the kidnapped teens in Wisconsin I'll give you the episode if you want to it's Red Museum the episode he is one she is one yep that's yeah it. 8 out of 14. And the last one, last one is, what age was given in Paula Kern's personnel file? Oh, that's from our town. Yeah, I was thinking of the episode. About the the cannibals in the chicken. It was before, it was the penultimate episode of the season. Penultimate episode of the season, yeah. What age was she she supposed to be? She was, she was, she looked young, but she wasn't. 50, 55. 47. Oh, it's close. Because she looked like a teenager yeah. because of the, what she'd been eating and made her look younger. Oh, go on yeah. then. What's, what's my total? Oh, crap. I think it was... <laughs> I think it might have been seven or eight. Seven or eight out of 50. I'll take that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's roughly half, I think. Yeah. So I think we both did all right there. Yeah. I think, fairly. They were good questions, though. Very good questions. And I know, I, I know the details around them, <laughs> around the answers. It's one of those things but, like... like Oh yeah, no. Oh yeah, untip your tongue. Yeah. But um, no, that was fun. That's going to wrap it up. This has been a long one. Um, That's what she said. Hey, thank you, Michael, <laughs> Michael Scott. Yay. Um, and uh, you know, we've we've talked TV. I think we've tried to tether it to um, movies as much as possible. Yeah. But you oh. know, the, the whole idea of this really was uh, was meant for the original Black Hole show. Yeah. But uh, we, we, I still wanted to want to 
us doing it because I wanted to talk about it as well. And um, even right. though I, 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 like, I like to support the case for TV, I'm more pro TV than movies. Well, there you go. Well, exactly. there's, there's an ongoing, there's an ongoing joke that <laughs> beat me to this. Yeah, there's an ongoing joke that I think I'll just beat to the punch. To, <laughs> he was going to mention. Yeah, but, um, there's a long that I haven't seen a lot of films mm. and a lot of the famous ones that people see in their kids, and probably because mm. I was watching TV at the yeah. time. and it's so. it's a running joke in our friendship circle in that we go, oh, have you seen um, Jurassic Park? I know you've probably seen Jurassic yeah, Park, seen but have you seen Jurassic Park? I know I haven't, and we're like, of course he hasn't. <laughs> it's like, yeah. of course he hasn't. Of course you haven't. You're laden. But no, it's it, it is interesting how you know you've got two people. I mean, I, I I love TV. I've always loved TV. I will frequently watch TV. But my my first love is movies. Hence why I'm doing this podcast. You know, and one of the big things I'm doing this year is watching more movies and seeing more movies and, and learning more about film. So, but it's great because you're doing the you're doing the other side of it. You're doing TV. You're managing to ca- keep going with a lot of the television. I mean, you, you, what's impressive about you is that you'll watch things at like 6am before you get to work, well, which I, I couldn't even do if I wanted to. Well, so I've, usually, I've usually got like a 45 minute window from when I come out of the shower and then when I have to leave. Yeah. So like, I'll, I'll get changed, I'll get I'll get changed, dried up or something, and I'll just have something running on the background. It's usually either one 40 odd minute show or two in the or two. So I used to go through two episodes of The Office yeah. um, before work because I could just fit them in. I used to watch Lost at like about half six in the morning. Oh my God. I'm surprised you have no irreparable brain damage. Not because Lost is a bad show, but because it's so mad and complicated. I couldn't imagine watching it that early. Same for the rest of the day. Well, it did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every task um, was easy after. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed our, our little talk about a couple of TV bits, you yeah. know, and, our, and TV in general and us testing each other. So Thank you for letting me invade your podcast and like change the subject matter. It's It's been <laughs> an absolute pleasure, <laughs> despite the fact, yes... This was called Black Hole Cinema, and there's n- <laughs> we've not talked about yeah, cinema. Yeah, too fair though, too fair though. He goes, here's my guest Matt Latham, we're talking about cinema. So, I saw this. I haven't. <laughs> I also saw this. True, okay. true actually, yeah. Goes, it would be I watched Demolition Man. Oh, speak about that. Yes. One day we'll do a whole film podcast on Demolition Man, which I actually wouldn't mind. Yeah, it'd probably be longer film. than the actual film. It might be, yeah. So, yeah, thank you. Thank no you, problem. Matt, for, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you to Matt's uh, technology and gadgets, which has meant we can record this in the same room yeah. um, so there's none of that awkward you know um, I've probably ruined problems. it for you now you probably want to do every podcast like this I will because it will sound brilliant and it will sync much better so yeah. it's, I'm going to have to get one of these gizmos so if you, if you see a marked improvement in quality over the next few weeks blame Latham okay because it might happen <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but no thanks for listening it's been a longer one that's what she said yeah, there we go and uh, <laughs> and yeah we'll um I'll be back soon for a, another venture down the black hole to discuss cinema. So, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Tony. See you next time. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.